0: Father, we just come to you, and uh, we're so grateful for uh, how you instruct us, not only through your word, but through our experiences in life. Uh, yeah, and By your spirit, Lord, that we're able to to become the kind of people, not perfect, Lord, we won't be that until we, we're with you, but the kind of people that you want us to be in this world, so you can use us in this world. Lord, and that's what we see happening in the life of Jacob. He was a man who made a A lot of mistakes, Lord, and as we're going to see today, he had a mistake in theology, but Lord, you were able to overcome that in his life by your grace, and Lord, you do that for us, and that's what you want us to see today as we, we look at this text, and so Lord, I ask that you teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask that in Christ's precious name. It's in his name that I pray, amen. I was talking to Brenda this week, and I was telling her how much I enjoy going through the book of Genesis, because you can... In the book of Genesis, you can do things that you can't do in the New Testament. What you're doing, what we're seeing in the book of Genesis is people living out their faith. Uh, you really don't see that in the New Testament. I mean, you get a little bit of that with Paul, but Paul was a super saint on the mission field, and, and most of us aren't going to live the kind of life that Paul lived. Now, even though Paul set a great example as far as his life experiences, uh, we, our life doesn't go like Paul's. But you look at a guy like Jacob, man, I've got to tell you, a lot of us follow in his footsteps, and, and, uh, but yet he was a man of faith, and so there's just great lessons we can learn from this guy. He kinda, he's sort of like Peter. I remember Vance Hebner used to always say, Peter was the most American of all the disciples, and the reason he said that was because Peter was so brash and self-confident. I mean, he was sort of like that character Barney Fife in the Andy Griffith show. You remember him? I mean, he thought he was a lot stronger and a lot wiser than he really was. Well, that's kind of the way Peter was. Well, if Peter was the most American of all the disciples, then Jacob was certainly the most American of all the Old Testament prophets, but in a different way. Jacob was American in the sense he was spoiled rotten, just like most Americans are. But yet he was a very religious man, just like a lot of Americans are. But yet he was like a lot of Americans in that he had really bad theology. And that's what we're going to be looking at today is some of his bad theology. Uh, as we continue on in this, uh, uh, this chapter. But we're also going to, as we study through the life of Jacob, we're going to see how God overcame that bad theology in his life. And that's what we'll be looking at, and that's what we want to learn today. Uh, last time when we left off, if you remember, uh, Jacob had begun his, begun his journey uh, to find a bride. Uh, he was heading from Beersheba to Haran, which was about a 500-mile journey and he had made about 70 miles in the first couple of days on camelback or walking or however, and he was pretty tired. I mean, he was, he was ready to, to, to rest. He was so worn out that he took a rock and he laid it under his head, and that became his pillow, and he fell asleep into a deep sleep, and he had a dream, and in that dream, he had a vision, and in that vision, he saw a ladder coming down from heaven, and uh, he saw the angels ascending and descending on that ladder, and, and uh, uh, th- more importantly, he looked up and he saw the Lord himself, the Lord in, in the flesh, none other than the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, the eternal Jesus Christ. And the Lord spoke to him, and he told uh, Jacob, he said, you're going to be heir of the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, and uh, he told him that the land belonged to him, and he made all those great promises in- to him in verse number 15. Look back with me at verse number 15. He says, Behold, I am with you. Now, you talk about a theology, a good theology. If every one of us could get this theology down, you would have a really good theology. Jacob, we're going to see in a minute, didn't get it down. It's going to take him a long time to get it down. It takes us a long time to get it down. But you want a really good theology, you can base it on these words right here. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done everything that I've promised you, all the things that I've spoken to you. And so uh, he gets these wonderful promises. God is basically saying to him, I love you, and I'm going to protect you, and I'm going to keep you forever. What a great theology to have. Now, Jacob again, he doesn't get that. We're going to see that here in a minute as we pick up in today's text. So pick up with me Uh, where we left off last time, and let's go to verse number 16. It says, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Now, we already see some of his bad theology right here. Here was his understanding of the Lord at this point. This was the place that the Lord lived. And when we get to verse number 19, we're going to see him change the name of that place, which was... was somewhere on the outskirts of a little city called Luz and he's going to change the name of that city and that place to Bethel which means Beth means house El means God the house of God so he thought in himself that he had actually found the house of God and it was there in Bethel so he saw the Lord as some sort of local deity I think it's the way a lot of people see the Lord Uh, he knew nothing about the omnipresence of the Lord, the fact that the Lord can be anywhere at any time. In his mind, God could only be at one place at one time, Uh, and he had found that place, and he was excited that he had found that place. Now, God was certainly at Bethel, the house of God, and Jacob had encountered God in a really wonderful way. There's no doubt, you can't deny that. But God isn't limited to one place. He is everywhere all the time. When Isaiah saw the Lord, he saw that the Lord, train of the Lord's glory filled the whole earth. The Lord is everywhere. He's everywhere at every time. David put it like this in Psalm 139.7. He says, where can I go from you or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. In Jeremiah 23, the Lord says this about himself, he says, "Do I not fill the heavens and the earth?" Me ask that rhetorical question, the answer to that question is, "Yes, you do, Lord. And so God has just promised, Jacob, if you look back in verse number 15, that I will be with you wherever you go." And Jacob really didn't hear that yet. Just like we don't hear a lot of things, just like a lot of people won't hear what we're saying here today because or not a lot of people, but some of us because because we just haven't experienced those things in our life yet. And that's why experience is so important. We're going to see that a little bit later on. Uh, You know, I think a lot of us, you know, I don't think there's anybody in this room that would deny the fact that God is omnipresent. How many of you do not believe that God is omnipresent? How many of you believe that God is omnipresent? Okay, but do you really believe that? You know, I, I, on a practical level, I wonder how many people truly believe that. I don't know t- how many times I've, I I remember when I was pastor in the first church I was pastored, I remember people saw that place. A lot of people in that church saw that place as the holy place. That was where God was. When they left, they said goodbye to God. When they came in, they said hello to God. I mean, that was the house of God. And in one sense, Paul calls the church the house of God. But why does he do that? Because we as believers are the tabernacle of God. And when we gather here as believers, we become the house of God. But when we get in our cars and go home, we're no less the house of God than we were when we, when we came here. We're, God is always with us. And, and, and I know we believe that theologically, but we've got to believe that in our hearts. You know, I, I take my own experience. I mean, I, every morning I go in my closet and I pray. And, and, and It's as if that's my spot where I meet with God. And then I go out of my closet and I say, talk to you later, Lord. You know, I'll see you later. I don't literally say that, but in my heart, that's basically what I do. I mean, we should always recognize the presence of God. That's why Paul says we're to pray without ceasing because what we're doing when we're praying without ceasing, we're acknowledging the presence of God everywhere we go. And everything we do, we recognize that he's there, that he sees us, that he hears us, and that he loves us. And we believe that. And uh, we're blessed when we truly believe that. Now, uh, look at, look at uh, Jacob's reaction now to, to, to the encou- his encounter with, with the living God. Look at verse number 17. It says, And he said, and he was afraid. He was very afraid, and he said, how awesome is this place. Now, maybe a better translation here is what Jacob said is, how terrifying is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gateway to heaven. Now, he's learning some things about God, but he's still got some really bad theology here, because any... What he believed was that that, uh, he had found the gate of heaven. Look, anywhere where we meet God, through who? Through Jesus Christ. That is the gate of heaven. Anywhere. Again, that goes back to the omnipresence of God. Jesus said this in John chapter 10, verse 9. He says, I am the gate. I am the gate. Uh, The gate is anywhere, then, where Jesus Christ is. And where is Jesus Christ? The spirit of Jesus Christ is omnipresent. And so Jesus Christ can be with anyone at any time, anywhere, uh, if they choose to seek God through Jesus Christ, because he is the gate. I see some more bad theology here, because Jacob is terrified. He's very afraid of God at this point. And, and, and don't get me wrong here. If Jesus Christ were to walk into this room right now or appear in this room in all of his glory, I guarantee I would be terrified, and so would you. I mean, understand this, but his theology is wrong here. I mean, uh, uh, when, I mean, that's bad theology to be afraid of the Lord. Uh, to fear the Lord with reverence and awe is not bad theology, but to be afraid of the Lord, that is bad theology. Remember when John saw the Lord on the Isle of Patmos. I mean, here was John. He had laid in the bosom of the Lord. I mean, he, he was like the, the Lord's, you know, one of his favorite disciples. I mean, the Lord had favorites. He, he doesn't show favoritism, but, but he'll, he favors those who favor him, and John was special, and John had a special love for him, and he had a special love for John. And then John sees him on the Isle of Patmos, and, and when he sees him in his glorified state, he is afraid, and he falls on his face as dead. That's bad theology. And, 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 but it's, it's, it's practical. You know, it's practical practical experience. That's exactly what we would do, too. And Jesus corrected that theology. If you remember, Jesus reached down, and he touched John, and he said, Fear not. Do not be afraid. Why was he not to be afraid? Because the Lord loved him. John knew that he loved him. And the, the glorified Lord loves us the same, is the same Lord who wasn't in his glorified state. As far as his heart goes, that love is the same. And, that, and uh, he loved John every bit as much in his glorified state as he did uh, in his, uh, human, his fully human state. All right, now, look at what Jesus had just said to Jacob. I mean, he had had given him all of these great promises, and and by giving him all of these great promises, he had told Jacob, Jacob, I love you. And so Jacob should have been in awe of the Lord, but not afraid, uh, because God hadn't shown him anything but mercy and grace and love at this point. And what does perfect love do? It casts out Fear, we're told in 1 John, and that's what should have happened at that point. All right, now go to verse number 18. Uh, Then Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put at his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. So here's Jacob, and he's so impressed with his encounter with the Lord that he wants to build the Lord an altar. And what he does, he does something very similar to what Mary did when she broke the alabaster box and poured the oil over the head of Jesus. He took all the oil he had and he poured it out on this altar. Now, what was he doing? In in a primitive way, he was making a sacrifice. He He was showing his gratitude to the Lord for this encounter and all of these promises that he had made. And, I mean, he even took the pillow. I mean, here was this pillow, this rock that he had laid his head on when he had seen the Lord, and that pillow had become very special to him. I wouldn't be surprised if he hadn't, wouldn't have strapped it to his camel and taken it home to, as a souvenir. But he says, no, I'm going to use this pillow, and I'm going to make it an altar out of it, and I'm going to pour all over it. So, so here is Jacob, and he's actually making a monument of gratitude, an altar of gratitude to the Lord. And so he's wanting to make a sacrifice. You could say he wanted to make a sacrifice to the Lord because he sacrificed that oil and he sacrificed his rock pillow and and, uh, uh, it sounds, all of that with good intent. But that's bad theology because there's no altar that pleases God but one altar. And what is that altar? That is the cross where Jesus died for our sins. Now obviously Jacob knew nothing about the cross at this point. And like I say, in a primitive way, he was making a sacrifice. And, and, and it didn't even point to the cross. Because at this point, Jacob doesn't even realize what a depraved sinner he is. That's going to take some time. And over time, God's going to show him. But, but he doesn't have any clue about that right now. Now, go with me to verse number 19, and let's look at some more of his bad theology. And he called the name of that place Bethel, the house of God. But the name of that city had been... Luz previously, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in the way I am going and give me lots of bread to eat and really nice clothing to put on so that I come back and gets me back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. You know what I see from this pra- passage? I learned something new here. The American TV preachers weren't the ones who invented the prosperity gospel. It was Jacob who invented the prosperity gospel. I mean, just look at that. Lord, I'll make you my God. I promise to make you my God if you'll protect me, if you'll give me fine food and fine clothes. And he's taking his mind lots of livestock, the latest model chariot, I mean, if you'll give me all these things and you'll bring me back home with my new bride who's a real looker, if you'll do all of those things for me, Lord, then I will make you my God. Sounds kind of like what I heard from one of those TV preachers' wife one day. She said, I wasn't listening to her. I read this l- later in the news that she had said this. I wouldn't listen to her. But she says, God lives only to bless us. His so Joy is to see us prosper. Look, God does love to bless his children, but God doesn't need us to have joy and purpose. Look, we've been around only about 6,000 years. When I say we, I'm not talking about me. I know some of you think I'm that old. I'm talking about the human race. We've been around about 6,000 years. God has been around forever. Now, if you think God needed us to have joy and to have purpose, he would have created us eons ago, not just 6,000 years ago. That sounds like a long time, but that's really a short time when you put it on the timetable of eternity. So so he he didn't need us. Now, his theology is good in in the sense that he's choosing Jehovah to be his God. Now, that's the right thing to do. But he's doing it with the wrong motive. Uh, I mean, in a sense... Jacob's thinking that somehow uh, God is indebted to him because he's making God his God. Uh, It's it's as if Jacob's saying, Lucky you, Lord. You get me, so prosper me. It, It should have been the other way around, shouldn't it? It should have been, Lucky me, Lord. Thank you for prospering me. And so, you know, I want to spend my life serving you and worshiping you because you've done that. But that wasn't the way he looked at it. And I think a lot of us, when we first get saved, have Jacob's attitude, and God's got to change that. Uh, this attitude that somehow God is privileged to, to bring us into the family of God, uh, that, that he's really lucky that he found us. i got to tell you, I sort of had that attitude when I first got saved. When I first got saved, you know what I mean? I had... I, I was in business. I had a, a failing business, but I didn't see it that way. I was CPA. I had an MBA. I mean, I, I think, thinking, man, God, you're really blessed. Lucky you. You get me. You get George. God didn't see it that way. He didn't see it that way at all. And one of the ways he showed me he didn't see it that way, the first job he gave me after I got saved was driving a diaper truck where I mean, he could rub my nose and show me exactly who I was in his eyes. <laughs> Rubbed my nose—not in the diapers, literally—but but by smelling those diapers every day, it was rubbing my nose in it. Oh, God wasn't lucky to get me. I was lucky that God hadn't destroyed me up in, up until that point. I should have been destroyed long before I got saved. Uh, I'm lucky that that uh, He chose to save me out on that desert road uh, when I was all by myself. He chose me to show me the way. And, and give me his Holy Spirit. I was the lucky one. And I, the only reason God didn't destroy me or allow me to destroy myself, he didn't have to do anything to destroy me, I was destroying destroy myself. The only reason he didn't allow me to destroy myself was that he knew that through the right experiences, along with his word and his Holy Spirit, he could overcome my bad theology. And he's overcome a lot of my bad theology. I still have some bad theology. I, I'm, I don't want you to know that, but, but nobody has perfect theology at this point. Well, some of us are tweaking some of our theology at this point. And we do that by the word and through the spirit and through our life experiences. And God knows that's going to take time. And now then you see just just I mean, he really gets some bad theology here in verse number 22. Look at verse number 22. We'll finish up with this. He He says, And this stone which I I have set as a pillar shall shall be, really, it may be better to say, it shall mark God's house. So this altar that he built is going to mark where God's house is. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. All you give me, I'm going to give a tenth to you. So we get some more bad theology here. Here's, here's Jacob, and he sets up this rock, and he says, this is going to be your address sign. And if I come back this way, I might just drop in and see you again. So, so I'm going to set this rock in, rock up here, that's going to be where I, how I'm going to know where you're at. Now, look at his bad theology of giving here. Listen to what he says. He says, all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you wait a minute, that sounds pretty good, he's saying he's going to tithe, Uh, isn't that what Abraham did, his grandfather, when he met Jesus, Melchizedek, uh, after his great victory over the four kings, and and Jesus came out to him, and and he had gotten all of these spoils, and and Abraham gave a tenth, isn't that exactly what he did? No, the amount's the same, the ten percent's the same, but the motive of the heart is totally different. Abraham didn't give to Melchizedek to get blessed. He gave because he had blessed him. He recognized him as being the one who had given him the victory over the four kings and given him the spoils of battle. So there's a big difference right there. Jacob wasn't saying, since you've blessed me, I'm going to give a tenth to you. He's saying, you give me more and I'll give you more. That's what he was saying. You give, whatever you give me, I'll give you a tenth of it. It should have been a, uh, the other way around. I will give a tenth to you of all I have because of all the way you have blessed me. See, a good theolo- theology of giving is all about loving God and it's all about gratitude for what God has done for you. It's not about greed. It's not about getting more. If that's your motive in giving, then give, because we need it. But <laughs> I all said don't give, but I don't want to go that far. Get your motive straightened out if that's your motive about giving. Paul puts it like this in chapter uh, 16 of 1 Corinthians. He says, on the first day of the week, and he's speaking to the church here, let each one of you lay something aside, giving a qu- according to how you prosper. Now, did you catch that? You're to give according to how God has prospered you. Not to prosper. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say set something aside and give according to how you want to prosper. That's not what he's saying. Give according to how God has prospered you. Now, the Bible does teach, don't get me wrong, the Bible does teach that those who give will prosper more. That's that's. That's the principle of sowing. What you sow is what you reap. You reap bountifully, you're going to... I mean, you sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. You sow sparingly, you're going you're gonna to reap sparingly. And I've got to tell you, that principle, you can test God on that. But that's not your motive. You don't sow to get. You sow because of what God has given you. And pros- our motive is never more prosperity. Our motive motive is gratitude to God it's love for God and it's love for others because when we give we're serving we use that money to serve others and 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 in serving others we're serving God that's why Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 7 he says let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart not grudgingly or of necessity for God loves a cheerful giver who's a cheerful giver one who is grateful to God one who loves God, one who has his joy, has joy in his heart because of what God has done for him, and, you're, and you're, you, you can't pay God back. But you're giving to God. God doesn't need any of our money. But you're giving to God, and you're, it's one way for us to truly show that we love God. And 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 because we give with a good heart and with the right motives, God is going to prosper. So if your motives are right and you give. Uh, Bountifully, God is going to prosper you bountifully. Listen to what Paul says in the very next verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, uh, may have an abundance for every good work. Now, that is a good theology of giving. And, it res- and, and a good theology of giving... Will always result in, a, in an abundance of spiritual and material blessings. So, you want to get your theology of giving right. You don't want it to be like Jacob's. You don't want it to be like Esau's because Esau didn't give anything. Both of those theologies would be wrong. All right. Now, as we finish up here, you look at this text, and we're just, you know, we could go back and, and look at some of Jacob's other theology about the way he got his blessing and the way he. His, his birthright and all the other things about him, Jacob had some really, really bad theology. Uh, uh, and this isn't the only, aren't the only issues that he had. I, I, I could give you another example, just from the context and just from human nature, uh, 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 something that was really bad in his theology at this point. Uh, Jacob had no doubt at this point is thinking that he has it made. I've got it made. I mean, I'm a greatly blessed man. I mean, I had a visit from the Lord himself. Uh, and he gave me all of these wonderful promises. I, I'm going to inherit the land. I'm gonna, he's going to be with me wherever I go. He's going to guide me. He's going to protect me. Uh, he's going to be with me to the end. I mean, I mean, it can't get any better than this. I've seen the glorified Lord. I've seen the ladder that goes to heaven and comes back to earth. I've seen the angels descending and descending on that ladder, and they're there to minister to me. I must be pretty important to God. I've arrived. I've got it made. Uh, God is on my side, and from this point on, life is going to be one big bowl of cherry. No doubt that's what he's thinking at this point. He's thinking, I'm going to go get my wife. and It's going to take a few months, but I'm going to get my wife, and then I'm going to head back to the promised land, and I'm going to sit on my throne, and I'm going to rule over my family, and I'm going to rule over Esau's family, and I'm going to rule over all of these servants. I'm going to own the land, and I'm going to have my beautiful bride, and I'm going to live happily ever after. And all I've got to do is go get her and come back, and this thing is done. I've arrived. I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't make himself a necklace. And and on that necklace, he put a verse just like, I mean, he didn't have a Bible then, but he put like Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Jehovah who strengthens me. I'm a winner. I can't lose now. Uh, I've I've got it made. And the Lord's going to be with me the rest of my life, and everything's going to be hunky-dory. Didn't happen that way, did it? We're going to see in the coming weeks that 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 was really bad theology. Uh, It doesn't tell us he actually had that theology, but I bet you he did. Because we all do. We all come to these points in our life sometimes where where we think that uh, we've arrived. We think that everything in life now is going to be just fine and we're not going to have any more troubles. We've been through our troubles and, and uh, God is with us and, and we can do anything through Christ who strengthens us. I used to have that theology. I still to some degree want to have that theology. But I know that theology doesn't always work. I mean, God does want us to win. God does, does want to give us the victory. God does want to enable us. He wants us to do great things. I have no doubt about that. God wants us to have a good life. God wants us to serve him in victory. He wants all of those things. But it doesn't always work out that we win at everything we do. I remember when my boys were playing uh, select baseball and I bought them those necklaces, you know. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I would tell them, if they struck out in the bottom of the seventh inning, which they only played seven innings, and they struck out with the bases loaded, I said, you need to pray more. You need to get in the Bible more. Because you, obviously God is not blessing you. That's bad theology. And God took, took me a whole season to realize that that never worked. Because as hard as they prayed and as good as they were and and as much as they studied their Bible, and my boys did that back then, we lost every single game we played. We played 30 games and didn't win one game. Now, we were playing in the toughest baseball in this country, and and we had a team of, you know, four or five good guys, and the rest of them were park ball league type players. But they were good kids, but we couldn't match up with those guys. And, I mean, Eli was pitching in one game and, and the kid hit the ball and he hit it over the fence so high it, 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 it knocked the limb off the pine tree in center field. I mean, it, I'm serious. It hit the limb and the, it, it, the limb cracked. I mean, I mean we, that wasn't working for us. And, and, and it doesn't work for anybody. Look, i got to tell you something. What Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, what that means is I can win or I can lose. And I'm going to have victory in my wins, and I'm going to have victory in my losses because Christ is there to strengthen me. And I can do all things. And we learned that through that. My boys became really good baseball players and better people because of that season that we had there. And I see that happen to so many people. I'm looking at... I'm looking at this boy from Alabama yesterday, this quarterback from Alabama, Tua Taglabola or whatever his name is. It almost sounds like a Hebrew name, so I can't pronounce it, but a an Hawaiian name. But anyway, he, he, here, you go back two weeks ago. This kid was front runner for the Heisman Trophy. I mean, he was set to be the number one pick in the NFL draft this year. Uh, him or the quarterback, Burroughs from LSU, one of them was going to go number one in the draft. I mean, yesterday, when they, the play before he was going to take him out of the game, he got sandwiched between two players and dislocated his hip, probably had a concussion, his nose was bleeding, couldn't get up. There are people who question whether he'll ever play football again. Boy, he's a strong Christian, a really strong Christian, really lifts up the Lord. God, why would you let that happen to him? Because... God works in mysterious ways, and He works through our losses every bit as much as He works through our defeats. In your defeats, you're probably learning more than you're learning in your victories. And this boy's going to learn a lot. I mean, if you get a chance, go online and listen to Nick Foles' testimony about his situation right now. I mean, he he was won a Super Bowl a couple years ago, and and uh, uh, he he uh, uh, played uh, got traded. He was backup quarterback and came in twice as a backup and led them deep into the playoffs once he won the Super Bowl. But, but they didn't want him as a starter, so he was traded over to Jacksonville, and in the first game this year, he broke his collarbone, and he's out. And, 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 and they give him, and, and he has this interview, and you've got to listen to him in the interview. All he does is lift up the lead. He says, i got a, I got just as much joy today as I had when I won the Super Bowl because my joy was not in the Super Bowl. My joy is in Jesus Christ. That's, that's the lesson, the big lesson that God wants to teach all of us. and It's a really hard lesson to learn. I remember God started teaching me that lesson early on in my ministry. I mean, I was in the ministry for, for like seven years over in New Orleans, and, and the last year I was there, uh, I, I thought I had arrived. I mean, I was ABD on my, on my Ph.D. program. I was about to... to to write my dissertation, and and I needed somebody to help me along with the preaching because I was going to be really busy writing my dissertation. And we had a black man in our church who was the Sunday school director, uh, one of the best preachers you've ever heard. I mean, if you like Tony Evans, he preached just like Tony Evans. The guy was a great preacher, great theology, a good man of God, a family man, perfect guy to be assistant pastor, and that position came open. And I was in a, in a church in, a, in a, a black neighborhood. We had maybe 90% black and 10% white. And I thought, what an opportunity. There was all sorts of quack old preachers out there, those TV, American TV-type prosperity teachers out there. But this guy was right on with his theology. And I thought, what a great way to get black people, more black people to come into this church when he's preaching and listen to, to the truth in a really dynamic way. And I began to pray I mean, I, I, I prayed and I fasted and I prayed and I didn't fast much. But I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I fought. I fought a battle because that church didn't want a black person on the staff, that, that deep high up in the staff. And I fought a battle and I finally, finally got him through the administrative committee uh, and the personnel committee. And I knew that I was going to win the vote. I knew it because I was right And I knew that I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I knew that God was going to give me this victory. It was the right thing that I got that victory. Well, the day came for the vote, and he lost. They voted him down. And I'll never forget, as long as I live, him coming over to my house with his two boys, weeping, crying. How could they do this? What did I do? I said, there's only one thing you did. That's you You were black. You were born black. That's the only reason they voted you down, and they're wrong. And he said, I can't come back to this church. And about 30 or 40 of the black people went to the church, said, we can't come back to this church anymore either. And I said, well, I can't come back to this church anymore either myself. So the next Sunday, I resigned. I resigned on the premise that I was going to go finish my dissertation. But I learned a hard lesson there. You don't always win. Right doesn't always win. Sometimes evil wins. But even in that loss, you get great victory. I don't know what God was doing in Clay's family. That's the black man. Uh, what he's done since, we've kind of lost touch over the years, but because of Katrina and what happened, I know what happened to that church. In 2005, the hurricane hit it, and it was under, totally underwater. The parsonage where I lived, all of that went underwater and was totally destroyed. It was rebuilt by the Southern Baptist Convention a couple of years later. And then a couple of years after that, It was mowed down by a tornado. I kind of, you know, I've got my thoughts of why all that happened to that church, but I'm not gonna share those with you. You can come to your own conclusions. But I know in my life it's been tough because I made a put a mark on myself by doing what I did. But it was the right thing to do. And I know that God has honored that. And I know I became a better person because of that. And I learned from that that you're not always going to win. We're going to win in the end, don't get me wrong. But you're not going to win every battle. Dave, Joshua lost battles, uh, David lost battles. We all lose battles sometimes. I mean, when I lose a battle, I want to know why. But, but sometimes you don't even know why. You, you, we, we, don't, we don't always win, but God does strengthen us through all things, through our victories and through our losses. You know, I think all of us, like Jacob, start out in this Christian walk with a lot of bad theology. But if you're the Lord's own, if you're his child, he's going to overcome that bad th- theology in your life. He's done that in my life. He's overcome a lot of bad theology. He's, how does he do that? Well, he begins in his words. Jacob didn't have much of a word, but he had a great word. In fact, you, you want to sum up the whole Bible, how God feels about all of us, just read verse 15, because it, it's right there. What God wants to do for all of us, is right there in verse number 15. And, and, and so all of it's, we have the word. We have a much greater advantage than Jacob had as far as theology goes. We ought to have sound doctrine, because we have the word. Now, people really mess with his word. But, it, but if you read it the way it's given to us, it, 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 it's a child can understand. it. It's something we can understand. And so we have the word is taught to us by the Spirit of God, but even then, until you experience some of these things in life, you're you really not going to understand God's word. But, but through our life experiences and through the word and through the Spirit, we end up with some pretty good theology. But it's not perfect theology. None of us will have perfect theology. You sit and tell me you've you've got Revelation all figured out. I'll tell you, you're a liar. There's no way you've got it all figured out because you can't figure it out until all those events are done. We won't be able to figure that out. But one day we will have perfect theology. You know, if Jacob were here today and he was standing in this pulpit, you could trust the fact that every he would tell us would be absolutely perfect theology. Why do I know that? Because he he is now perfected in the Lord. He has arrived. Jacob has arrived. He doesn't have any more bad theology. And I think if he were standing in this pulpit today and he was speaking to this group of people, to this congregation, he would tell us that the greatest theological lessons that he learned through the Word of God. I mean, he got it really with the Word of God. I mean, he got it directly out of the Lord's mouth. But the greatest lessons that he learned through, through the Word, by the Spirit, and through his experiences was that this walk of faith is all by grace. It is all by grace. His faith, faith is a gift of God, not of works. It's by grace. Salvation is a gift of God, not of works. It's by grace. Your sanctification, the process by which God makes you, you and I holy, that is a gift of grace. And our glorification is, is certainly, undoubtedly, a gift of grace. And Jacob would tell us, I believe if he were standing here, all my job was was to believe the Lord, to cling to the Lord, to learn to love the Lord. And because I did all of those things, by the Lord's grace, I stand here today, and I can tell you what it means to have a good theology. See, we learn those lessons. You learn about God's grace through experience you'll learn about God's grace of the word and you learn about it by the Spirit being teaching you the word. But you really don't understand grace fully until you've experienced that grace. And when you've really experienced the grace of God like I have, like Jacob did, like most of you have, then you, and, you, and you understand that it's all by grace then you've got some really good theology. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the fact that you are our teacher. Lord, that you promise to be with us, to love us, to guide us, to direct us, to get us home to you. Lord, you promise to save us, to sanctify us, to glorify us by faith through our faith, Lord, but that, even that faith is a gift from you. All of it comes through our Savior, Jesus Christ, and through what he did for us on the cross. It's by his broken body and his shed blood, Lord, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Father, if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know you as their Savior, I just ask that, Lord, you show them you convict them, first of all, that they're sinners, Lord, but convict them of the fact that, hey, life is never going to work for them until they give their life to you. Father, I just thank you for, for what you've done in my life and in the life of your, my brothers and sisters here. And we, we, again, we just thank you through Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.